Grace Church, we've talked about becoming a rebuilt people. Now let us imagine what a rebuilt place could look like. How could we leverage our space to be good news in our neighborhood, a place for the church and for the city? You all know this space. You're probably sitting here right now. Our auditorium exists for equipping, training, and the weekly worship gathering. This is a space for us and those seeking to experience Jesus, but it's only a fraction of the square footage that we own. Here's the cottage, currently used for our only our people, a class or a group a couple evenings a week, but otherwise sits dormant six days a week. Picture this as a coffee shop, a place for the neighborhood to gather, to connect, and work. Now it blesses the community and helps make our space more accessible to people who may have never stepped foot on a church property. Here we are in the Grace offices, which currently allows us to get the business of church done. But I think we can all agree our world suffers from a chronic mental health crisis. So what if we refitted this space to allow Christian counselors a place to provide support and counseling, not only to our people, but to the entire city. And when our workspace is transformed into a counseling center, our offices will be moved right here above the preschool. By utilizing this 3,000 square foot space, we will be able to bring on interns, train leaders and missionaries, as well as run the operations of the church. This is our preschool. We see it as a ministry to the community in desperate need of childcare. And it shows the love of Christ to every kid and family that walks through its doors. If we truly believe that children are the future, it starts right behind these doors. Welcome to the brand new gym and multi-purpose room. Before the rebuild, to be honest, this place was a disaster. Now it's inviting, modern, and ready to hold events, teachings, and a place to gather for not only youth and kids, but for community events during the week too. Above that space, we're hoping to create four new classrooms for the youth. The youth of today need direction, so these spaces are not only for our current students, but will also open up a clean, safe place for the kids of the community to join in as well. As you've seen, our campus, our aircraft carrier at Grace is massive and being located in North Park makes it worth its weight in gold. Let's maximize its potential, equip our own people, invite the community, and serve the outsider. In the 1500s, if you wanted to see great art or hear great music, you went to church. That's sadly no longer the case. Churches are often avoided on purpose because they don't add value to the neighborhood. But what if we helped change that? We feel that evangelism in this cultural moment should look more like hospitality. We want to keep our doors open and help address the felt needs of those who live nearby. Grace, let's continue to be faithful to God and His mission and serve His people. Is that for me or for the video? I didn't hear a, yeah, uh, uh, thank you, appreciate that. Welcome to Grace Church, good morning, my name is Scott, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I want to give you a little disclaimer, I have a cold, you guys, and this thing is crazy, so I have my salt water, um, and you guys are in the splash zone, but it's not COVID, it's called influenza, there is such a thing, and so just FYI, I have that, I'm sorry, I have in my notes, bear with my voice please. But I kid you not, it's spelled B-E-E-R. Um, Freudian slip? No. How dare you? Anyway, uh, bear with me, please. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. We'll be there in a bit. And by a bit, I mean quite a while. Uh, but we will get there. 
Uh, another kind of long intro. This is the third week of our vision series, and we've been using a term, a phrase for now three weeks. And that phrase is we want to become and be a rebuilt people in a rebuilt place. And so the first two messages, two weeks, Pastor Josh kind of laid out what it looks like, how to think, uh, how, to, how to live our lives as a rebuilt people. Uh, we, the, today and next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in and be in a rebuilt place and what that means for you and for I. Uh, how can we accomplish the mission that God has given us in this world and in this uh, dominant culture that is going in another direction. And so sometimes it's helpful not just to talk about vision and what's going on in the future and where God is leading us, but it's helpful to look at the past. And so I want to look at a person in a time and a place that models for us an alternative, beautiful community uh, that is centered around Christ and his kingdom. So I want to look back at recent history to an example of a church and a person who did something profoundly different than the culture around them. And I want to spend a moment and talk about this guy. He was a pastor, a theologian, a scholar named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, you may have heard of him. He has got a ton of books. Recommend him. I, I can't recommend him enough. Go read his books. But in 1935, the church in Germany was kind of falling apart, and it was declining, not just in numbers, but the, uh, theologically and ethically, morally, there was decline. Why? Well, you know why. Because Hitler's influence and his political agenda and party and this cultural movement started growing and having more and more influence. And what was happening is uh, they were pressuring organizations and institutions to join the movement, join the Third Reich. And so what uh, a lot of people saw happening is everyday Christians and churches starting to compromise biblical values, sound theology, and joining his movement. So uh, he, uh, Bonhoeffer, and a, and a group of other pastors started getting together out of concern. They were concerned about what they saw the German church doing and the Christians in uh, Germany doing. And they started praying together and talking together. And out of those movements and those prayer meetings and discussions of like, what do we do with this whole thing? They wrote a document called the Barman Declaration. And this was to be sent out. Think what we'll get into Paul sending out letters to churches. This was to be sent out. And it spoke out against Hitler's regime and his movement. And it was encouraging churches to be faithful disciples and followers of Christ and not to compromise themselves and compromise and fall into the cultural moment. Out of those meetings as well, two uh, organizations were birthed out of those meetings. Uh, a church called the Confessing Church and a seminary called Finkenwald. Every time I say that, I, it sounds like I'm cussing. I'm not cussing, it's German. Finkenwald. You could say that and that'll be fun. Uh, but they focused, this, this little church and this little seminary uh, focus on spiritual formation and discipleship. That so they look at contemplative practices, a way to practice how Jesus led his spiritual life and his relationship with the Father. They wanted to model that then for the church, and they wanted to roll that out and invite people to join this little subculture movement. And so they did that. This group appointed Diedrich Bonhoeffer to be the head of both. 
And so uh, Bonhoeffer had a former student who was a good friend of his, though. And this friend wasn't where he was, where the church was, or the seminary was, but he had heard about what he was doing and what these pastors were doing and how Bonhoeffer was intense in, his, uh, in his, uh, the way he was making people study the word and theologically and, and the practices. It was this intensity around what he was doing and how he was doing it. And so his friend went, said, I'm going to go and I'm going to visit Bonhoeffer. I'm going to tell him I'm concerned because I'm hearing these reports of how just intense this is, like lighten up, dude, that type of thing. And so he goes to Bonhoeffer. He travels to where he's at. And he, uh, Bonhoeffer hears his concern and said, hey, why don't we row? They used to row together. I've never rowed, but this is what they did. And so they jumped in this boat, and they rowed down this river. And they rowed all the way down and across, and they got out of the boat, and they stood there in silence because they were at the border of one of Hitler's airfields. And as they looked at the airfield, they saw planes coming and going and doing maneuvers and training They saw uh, soldiers training to kill and to march and to do all these things. And they stood there in silence for a little bit. I can imagine that feeling. And then Bonhoeffer looks to his friend, his former student, and he said, he, Hitler, is building an army of harshness for war. And so I think about the formation of what we're doing to respond to it. And this, pointing back to the church, pointing back to Finkenwald, he says, this has to be stronger than that. It has to be stronger than what Hitler's doing. It has to be stronger than what the army is doing. So think about that for a moment. Bonhoeffer's a nobody at the time. I mean, he's a professor, he's a pastor, he's a theologian, but in the grand scheme, he's nobody. And he's standing there and proclaiming his little church, his little seminary, it has to be stronger than this massive army that would then go on and commit these extreme evils and genocide. In our cultural moment, we don't face adversity like that. We're not currently in a war like that in our own country, but we do face adversity. We have political tension. There's a war happening in Israel, and there's tensions on both sides, even in America between Palestinians and Jews, and there's racial diversity. There's all kinds of things happening, like distractions with technology, self-help ideology, even in the Christian world. There's all this secular opposition to the kingdom of God, hoping to push us back, God's people. And so we have to ask the question, how can we, as Grace Church San Diego, have the intensity and the intentionality to accomplish the mission God has given us, to make disciples at that level of conviction? How can we do that as a church? How do we gather together to do that and send people out to do that? We need the vision we've been talking about the last couple weeks. We need to reorient our minds. We need the perception, the perspective to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us. We need to answer these important questions. How are we making disciples? What is your evangelism strategy? Like, I don't have one. What are we doing to make disciples in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our homes? here around North Park in Normal Heights. Evangelism is kind of a no-no word, like don't call me an evan- you know, evangelical these days. It means something, right? We don't want to be called that. But that, in essence, is like how do we make disciples? How do we share the gospel effectively? So the last couple of weeks, we've been looking in the Old Testament in Nehemiah and Jeremiah. But today, I want to look at one of Paul's epistles, his writings, 
his letter to the church at Corinth and see what he says about it. We'll see in a couple weeks, we'll be back in the book of Acts. And down the road, we'll get to Acts 18. And we're going to read how Paul traveled to Corinth. He stayed a year and a half and he established a church. Now, after he established the church and went away, he had been getting reports, doubts about his apostleship and all this conflict and things that were happening, crazy lifestyles and the culture, the dominant culture pressing in on the subculture of of the kingdom of God, of the, the Christendom. And so he starts by justifying who he is as an apostle. And then he's saying, even though I'm an apostle, I have all these freedoms and things that I could do. But then he gets into our text. So I want to read for us 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. You can read along with me or it'll be on screen. He says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might what? I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might what? Win those, become, uh, win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people. I love that. I have become all things to all people, that By all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul, as an apostle, one of the foremost missionaries of the first century church, one of the leaders of the first century church, he had all this freedom in his apostleship, yet he says, I'm going to serve and be all to all people. Always with the goal, though. You, You notice the caveat there. Why would he do that? Why to the Jews he would become a Jew? Why to the Gentile he would become a Gentile? Why would he adapt and and get on someone's level? Why would he do that? So that he might win some for the sake of the gospel, to make disciples. His mandate is the same as our mandate, to make disciples. That's funny, though, because as an outsider, people may look at Paul and say, yeah, he's very inconsistent because he's he's one way with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, And he's this way to the Jews. He's this way to these people, this way. Like, what's the dude's thing? Like, what is his thing? I have become all things to all men that I might, by all means, save some. Now, don't mistake here, though, that he is going to leave the gospel or bend the gospel or change the gospel. That's not what he is meaning here. We'll talk about that in a moment. He actually denies that in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. You can look that up. He doesn't change truth. He doesn't change the word. He doesn't change the gospel. But he does adapt his speech, his behavior, his approach to people so that he might win some. He might appeal to some. How you approach one person is how you, and how you approach another person could be totally different. And I, some of you are like, no, that's not true. Truth is truth. Like, give them truth. I get it. I've traveled around the world. Words have different meaning to different people. Customs have different meaning to different people. And so when you travel to Asia, it's a totally different language. It's a totally different world when I've traveled there. When I go to Haiti, when I go to Cuba, when I, everywhere you travel, you appeal to the people and, and, and ingrain yourself in their culture so that you might win some. You might appeal to those people. You remember the three different types of ship, ships we've been talking about? Some of you are new. You're like, I, what? 
That's weird. <laughs> Go back and listen. But we, we've been talking about what, it, what a church, the metaphor is a, a cruise liner, a luxury cruise liner, and the, just the comfort cultural Christianity that a lot adhere to. And the, the second one is a battleship and how everyone else is bad and I need to go tell them they're bad and we're good and you need to do what we do and they're the enemy and we're not. The third is what we see as a more effective strategy to be an aircraft carrier and we'll talk more about that as well. But if we aren't careful, we could become a battleship church. We could be battleship type of Christians where everyone's the enemy. We're holy, they're not, we're better, they're lesser and it doesn't matter what your approach is, just give them the truth. You want to love people? That's loving. Just give them the truth. Yeah, but you can also be a jerk. <laughs> like, it's just true. I've seen this so many times with Christians, and it drives me crazy. It doesn't matter what, what words you use. It doesn't matter. Just give them the truth. Give them the truth. Okay, but you can be very unloving while you do that. Tone matters. Words you use matters. It doesn't mean you change it. But it does matter. Truth, yes, but grace and truth. Jesus embodied this perfectly. Go read the Gospels. How he came to someone, to a Samaritan, came to the Samaritan, to the different, to the Gentiles, to the Jews. He approached that person in their cultural context, context so that he might win them and love them and offer them both grace and truth. Now, on the other side, we, cannot, uh, we can't be afraid to offend people the gospel is offensive, and that's okay. But Paul knew something to be true, and he had it right. Paul only wanted them to be offended at the gospel. That's it. He didn't want him to come in between the gospel and them meeting their creator. Does that make sense? He didn't want any other, other peripheral issue to become an issue so that it would roadblock someone to knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the gospel stand for itself. Let the truth stand for itself in love and let the gospel be the offense that it is. At a conference last year, uh, John Tyson, he's a pastor out of New York, he was preaching at, a, at this conference and he shared that in 2022, 1.2 million young people left the church after high school and the primary reason was that Jesus wasn't compelling. We've made Jesus boring. And what's crazy about that is when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, how on earth is he boring? It doesn't make sense. But we, as a people, have screwed it up. And we've made him boring. I've been in this church for 23 years in August. I walked in those doors. I think they're the same doors. We probably have to replace them. At 20 years old, I'm 43, I walked in these doors. And it was the, the, the pews up there were the same down here. Hardwood floors, acoustics were horrible. And the old pews, and there was probably three young families in the entire church. No offense to the older folks, but it was all older folks. And I felt out of place. And the choir would get up in their robes. No offense, guys, stop. I know what you're thinking. But they would get up and they would sing the hymnals. I love hymnals. But they would sing them, and I, and I was 20, I was a punk. I love Jesus, but I'm like, yeah, I'm yawning until the sermon. And the approach has changed over the years. Why? Because it needs to. Because our culture has changed. 
The gospel has never changed from this church. Biblical truth grounded in scripture and God's word has never changed in this church, but our approach has. Our approach has. We call our outside time in between services happy hour. Like some of you are like, that's blasphemous. No, it's not. But our approach has, has changed to adapt to the culture while the message remains the same. There's a difference. Now, again, big, big disclaimer, because you can read this, become all things to all people, and you're like, oh, so everything's okay then, as long as they get the gospel? No, not everything is okay. Paul wasn't saying that. It doesn't mean we deviate from truth, from our, our striving to be holy, our striving to uh, have obedience under Christ, under the lordship of Christ. It doesn't mean we deviate from that at all. That's not what Paul is saying. But it does mean that we, as a set-apart people, as God's people, as an alternative culture to the dominant culture, it does mean that we can adapt our speech, our message, our approach in a way that makes sense to the world around us. It does mean that. Our evangelism strategy has to change. We have to appeal to people in a different way nowadays. I used to be evangelism was done through apologetics, right? I used to love watching debates on YouTube and going to debates online or in person, and you'd hear an atheist and this theologian debate, and it was like, yeah, it's cool, and people would come to Christ through that. That's not the case anymore. It used to be that standing on the corner and reading your Bible and telling people they're going to hell worked. Maybe, maybe it didn't. I don't know. <laughs> it never worked for me. But those things don't work for people. So what, is, what do we do? What is our approach? Following along the lines of, of the logic of the Apostle Paul to win people, to adapt to people, we believe that the new evangelism is found in hospitality. We, as Christians, should be the most hospitable people in our city and our world. And it's all throughout the scriptures. It's all throughout. The writer of Hebrews says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show what? Hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Paul talks about it in Romans 12. Love must be sincere. He talks about being a counterculture person in church and then be hospitable. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. <clears throat> Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then what do you do? Share the, uh, with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I love that word. In the New Testament, this Greek, is, it's philozenia. And it's this compound word, and the word from love and stranger are put together to mean philozenia. So biblically, it means love the stranger, love the outcast, love the outsider, love people outside of the church. That's our calling and our mandate. That's the new evangelism that we should look at. To the believer, to the unbeliever, we should be hospitable people. Hospitality is the new evangelism. It's the new vehicle for evangelism. This means the gospel, carrying out the gospel looks different, right? It looks like a meal. It looks like a barbecue. It looks like inviting people over for coffee. It looks like reaching out and being the dependable friend that you need to be. 
It means paying attention when your coworker is upset and praying over them, but then just say, hey, you want to go off for coffee and talk about it. It means not being a weirdo, but just being normal and being hospitable. Why? So that you might win some when you eventually open your mouth and share what Jesus has done. We need to be hospitable. Last week, we were learning how to be a people that learn how to live under the ring of King Jesus, how to live in exile, remember, as a remnant in exile. And this week, I just want us to shift to say, how do, how do us collectively, as Grace Church San Diego, and maybe you're new, you're like, I, I'm not Grace Church. Well, you are today. So how do we, as a church, how do we do this? How do we live this out? So I've been looking at this author named Will Mancini, and he says this to, as a message to the church. He says, if a church does not see glorifying God as its ultimate purpose and making disciples as its earthly mission, that it's not a church by biblical definition. Like, ah, that stings. And then what does that mean for us as a Christian? Does that make us a Christian by the biblical definition? We must be people that has the ultimate purpose of glorifying God to do what? The Great Commission, make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called, we're compelled to do. And he provided this kind of diagram, this lens to look at how we as a church can do what he calls the kingdom concept. And so there's this diagram I want us to look at. And I just want to point out, I made it on Canva. I'm proud of myself. It's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't, yeah? No? All right. Um, it's a long-standing joke, you guys. Some of you, you're like, you're not funny. I know, but whatever. Uh, so there's three different ways to look, uh, a lens to look at us as a church, how we could be good news, how we could be hospitable to those around us. The first is the local predicament. That's understanding the needs and opportunities in our city and our neighborhood. In your, on your street, do you know your neighbors and do you know how to meet their needs? Do you know what the needs are in your neighborhood? I mean, some neighborhoods live around hospitals. Some of you live around the homeless population of San Diego. Some of you live right by low-income housing units and you don't even know it. Some of you live by college students and they need food and Red Bull. I don't know. Some of you live in neighborhoods where you don't know the needs and you need to get to know what those needs are because every need is an opportunity to be hospitable and to share the gospel. So we need to know what the local predicaments are around our church, around our house churches, around your home. You need to know what those needs are. The second one is apostolic passion. This is the missional drive that activates inside of us to empower us to meet those needs. It's really, it's, it's those things in our neighborhood, in our city, in our world that goes, oh man, I can't stand it. I can't stand that there's so many homeless people I need to help. I can't stand that the, the issue of sex trafficking is still ha happening. I need to get in the game and help. I can't stand that all these college students are coming out of high school and don't have a home church. I need to get in the game and I need to be hospitable so that we might win some. What drives you into those needs, those opportunities? That's what he calls the apostolic passion. The third one is our collective potential. This is the unique collective capabilities of our church and how we can uniquely come together to meet the needs around us for the glory of God. How can we then do that as Grace Church San Diego specifically? 
I mean, this is, a, this is our home base, right? This church, this property from the end of uh, Madison all the way up to the apartment buildings two lots away. So what does that mean for us, for our church? How can our facilities being good news be hospitable to our neighborhood and those around us? And it's hard because I live in Alpine. You guys been to Alpine? It's like 30 minutes away. Yeah, some of you live in Alpine. When you live in Alpine, we call it going up the hill. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go up the hill. And when you come down, you say, I'm going down the hill. And you say it like that. I don't know why. <laughs> but when you go into Alpine, it's like you're entering a different world. You're like in a small country town in Texas or something. But you're in San Diego. And when you do that, what's, you're like, a lot of you are like, that's too far. Okay. But when you do that, you just let out a sigh when you go home. You're like, ah. Oh. And when you go into your house, it's like a refuge. And many of us feel like our homes are a refuge away from the stresses, worries, work, friends, drama, news, chaos, all the things that are happening. And we look at our, our homes that way. If I can escape and get home, I can be in my little refuge, in my little place of rest. The shift of thinking is that not only is it a place for me to rest, but what if our homes can be an outpost for the kingdom of God in our neighborhood? It's a different way of thinking. What if our homes are known as that's the Christian, that's the person that, although they may be weird, they're always inviting me over. They're always so kind and nice and helpful. And when they see I needed help with my trash cans, they helped. When they, like whatever it is, they're always dependable and I know I can knock on their door. What if our homes, our house churches, what if this place can be an outpost for the kingdom of God, pushing back the dominant culture and the darkness around us? What if we could be that? And we have to answer the question, if we disappeared as a church, say next week, Pastor Josh is preaching and he gets up, you guys, got, we, sold, we sold the property, folks, millions of dollars, see you later, we're disbanding the church. You'd be like, oh, okay, I'll go to another church. But imagine that. Here's the question. By the way, when I said that last service, the lights went off. And so I, I'm a little weirded out. Like, is that going to happen? No, it's not happening. Okay. Um, see, I was, I was saying, see, the Lord spoke. But what, it, <laughs> here's the question. If we disappeared, would anybody care or notice? He would. We got one. Nailed it. Would, it, would our neighborhood, would North Park, Normal Heights, so you remember that church, that tall steeple thing? They're no longer there. Their food distribution isn't happening anymore. I can't go get food. Their facilities, I can't walk on their campus anymore. It's not there anymore. Would they miss us? Would they? I, it's, it's hard to answer that question. I would say currently, not really. Not really. I don't think we're effectively using what we have here to meet the needs and be hospitable to the neighborhood around us. For a while, I've been following the story of a of a, he was a former pastor. His name is Hugh Halter. He pastored a church. I think he was in the, like Portland or Seattle, one of those weird areas. Sorry I said that. <laughs> uh, Pacific Northwest is beautiful there. He pastored a church there, and then he moved to Colorado, and he pastored a church there. And then him and his wife had uh, one of their children with special needs, and they found a town that uh, they found some really good care for him. That's what I know about it. So they moved to Alton, Illinois, small town in Illinois, and they moved there, and as a pastor, and I love the way he thinks. He just thinks differently. 
He says to himself, instead of church planting like I did twice, I want to do something different. How could I be really good news to this town, this, this small little area? And so long story short, he met with the city, and they had a run-down post office and smack dab in the middle of the town. And they said, well, well, we'll give you that to use. You can lease that from the city or something. So he opens up a coffee shop and a bakery, and pretty soon they had art shows there and live music. And before you knew it, it was like the hub of this city. And after a couple of years, the mayor said, if you leave, we're going to have to raise taxes. Like people were so drawn to this community that was happening in this cool building that was formerly a post office because of what he, was, he created. Oh, and by the way, they were a church. They gathered as a church on Sundays in that building. So it's almost as if they, 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 uh, they were secretly a church, but people went there Monday through Saturday and they got coffee and a donut. How cool is that to be good news where community gathered and where they brought people in through hospitality to open up their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful story. I love what, they, what he did and what they did. Even the way they talk about it is different. It's called the Lantern Network. This is the, on his bio. Lantern Network is a kingdom ecosystem committed to incubating good works and benevolent businesses to bless the city. His, Hugh Halter, his mission is to encourage the church to be less churchy and instead work on creating social, personal, and spiritual ventures that serve our cities in ways that make God smile. And I'm like, that is cool. That is the new evangelism. There's something unique and special about that. And so as a leadership team, we've been talking about that, and we, we have a vision of what's called the three C's that I, I want to share with you today. Here are the three C's. The first one is just children. We have a calling to dive in and invest in and pour into the next generation. So our call is to care for the next generation by building their faith and setting a foundation in Christ to thrive in a secular world. Our preschool is not just a business, it's a ministry. And we've heard story after story. These kids, every single week, and most of them come from secular homes, they don't know the Lord. They hear the gospel every single week. So we've heard story and story over these parents who don't know church, don't know the Lord, want nothing to do with it, but they found our preschool and said yes to preschool, and their kids are suddenly changing their attitudes, their moods, their singing songs about Jesus, completely changing their dynamic, and they're, they're compelled, and the appeal is there. And so they're like, what is happening with my kid? It's been an outreach ministry of our church. It's also why we started Awana. Liz Rush had this desire and this almost this anger to fight against the culture, what they're teaching our kids, and say, let's pour scripture into our kids and love on our kids in the name of Jesus. And so we started Awana every Wednesday night from our children's ministry with Kelsey to Sierra and our youth ministry, Alyssa and our college students. We want to invest in the next generation because if people are leaving, that stat John Tyson said, if that's true, we have to fight against it. What we do here has to be stronger than what's out there. We're compelled in that direction. We want to invest in the next generation. So one thing we're doing right now, we've been talking about these projects for a while, but we are literally under construction. Our student building's redone, but upstairs are dedicated youth rooms, four of them that we are rebuilding. 
is a little diagram of what we're, what we're doing right now. I know you can't see it. I just wanted to show that it's serious. We're doing it. And so we're remodeling that space to be beautiful rooms where youth can meet and do Bible studies and be poured into and have fellowship and community, and it's going to be awesome. So we are committed to discipling our next generation. The second C is community. And the great need here is to build a compelling community around the person of Jesus where his followers are stubbornly committed to the mission of God and their love of people. That's us. We want to be committed to community. And what's interesting is the need to belong is so real. Many of us are so, feel so lonely throughout the week. Stats show that one out of three Americans say that they're regularly lonely. Lonely. Young people under 21, 61% say they've experienced chronic loneliness. And it's interesting because we have this, right? We have our phones. I have like 15 text messages right now. We have, and we're so, we're so attached to them, addicted to them. All of us are. And so in, one, in some ways, we're very connected. You can text me. I can text you right now. Someone text me. It'd be fun. We're so committed, but at the same time, we've never been more lonely. What does that tell you? It's, it's hard. It's difficult. Average people in America right now touch their phones 2,516 times a day. That can't be true. I'm, I feel so guilty. The average po- person is on their phone over three hours a day. I saw this meme. I love memes. I saw this meme that says, I saw a guy at Starbucks today, no iPhone, no iPad, no tablet, He's just sitting there drinking coffee like a psychopath. (laughs) It's like you're a weirdo if you don't have this thing in your face nowadays, right? We're so addicted to it. But something is missing when it's causing anxiety and stress and even anger and loneliness. It's because we're missing something real and tangible and actual authentic connection between human beings. We need real community. And some of you have been sitting on the fringe of Grace Church and you haven't really integrated in. And so I invite you, you need it. We need you to. We need you, you need us. We need to be a community doing life together. You and I look more like God when we're in community. Or let me say it the reverse way. We look less like God when we do life outside of community. I said this to the youth, I preached to them a couple weeks ago. And I made this point that God isn't just, some, isn't just a divine being that's like pro-community, wants you to be in community. He is defined by community. He is community. He's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is community. So hence, we do look more like him when we are in a community under him. We should prioritize our church community in that way. We should also ask what type of community we want to be. There's all kinds of amazing churches in San Diego. I love the churches in San Diego. But there's big ones, there's small ones, there's everywhere in between. I I call ourselves a medium-sized community church. And no hate to the mega church. Mega churches, they can do things and reach people like we can't. So that's amazing. And we can do things that they can't. We can be connected in a way that they really, they struggle with. And so there's good and bad on both sides, but I, I love where we're at. I love our size of church. So 
when we as a church look at all this and we look at Paul's writing of being all things to all people and look at the concept of evangelism looking like hospitality, how do we do that as a church and how does our facilities do that and help us do that? And so there's a lot of things we've been working on. This summer, we finished the prayer room up in the balcony. If you haven't been in there, go check it out after service. It's pretty awesome. And the the vision behind that was that we wanted to now, in our cultural moment, foster an environment up there. It's right up there. For generations to come, people would enter that space and connect with God in a fresh and new way. And we would foster a foundation of faith for them for generations to come. So we hope 10 years from now, people are using that room to connect with the Lord. We, you've seen our student building. We just remodeled it. If you haven't seen it, go check it out after service. It's beautiful. We have a multi-purpose room, a gym room, and we're talking about how do, we, how do we bring people from the community in? And we have ideas with that. Years ago, we had a vision for the cottage, this little house-looking building that's currently blocked by rubble because we're redoing our second parking lot. But we said, how can we turn this thing into a coffee shop? And here's why. It's not just to have coffee. Coffee's amazing. It's a drug I'm addicted to. But here's why. Because we live in a coffee culture in North North Park, Normal Heights. And there's people in our neighborhood, in our little town, that will never walk onto our campus, our property, on a Sunday to come hear the gospel. But they will come get some of the best coffee they've had. And so if we can bring them in to be around us a little bit and have conversations and we're hospitable, it might give them ears to hear and invite them in into this culture, this alternative culture we have. And so we've been working on this. We've been serious about it. A year ago in our vision series, we said we wanted to do it. And it's taken a long time, but I'm so happy to report on Friday, the city gave us a green light to keep going. And I'm... Check it out. We hired an architect. We hired a company, and we're looking at what, how can we utilize this space. I will not stand, uh, I will not say, I won't give in until we have a deck coming out of the cottage. That is important to my life uh, because I want people to drive past it and go, oh, that's a coffee shop. It's not just a church. And they want nothing to do with the church, but they'll come and then they'll come, and they don't know what we're doing, but they'll come and be a part of us. This coffee shop, man, I'm passionate about it. And some of you are like, I don't get it. That's okay. Wait until you have the coffee. It'll be amazing. And we're in partnership. We're talking with, um, I'll, I'll tell you who it is, Moniker. We've said it before, Moniker Coffee in Point Loma. And they have agreed and committed to come in and run our coffee shop for us. Uh, so if you've been there, you know it's bomb coffee. It's not just junk it will not be called Holy Grounds. <laughs> I will quit if we call it that and move to Nova Scotia or somewhere. It won't happen. But it's going to be awesome. We're gonna, it's going to be excellent. And so uh, we are going to start breaking ground. Uh, right now, my guess after permitting is January, and I'm very excited. Uh, third C is very important and relevant. It's counseling. And this is addressing the very relevant mental health crisis by bringing the hope of Christ while pushing back the darkness in our minds. This is no surprise that I would tell you that we have a mental health crisis in America. We just do. 
And we have an amazing ministry called Soul Care where you can, uh, for free, come and see a soul care counselor. That's free guidance and prayer. And they will love on you and help guide you into whatever you're going through. But when we talk about the relevance of this, you know that this crisis is very real. One in five Americans suffer from mental illness right now. 322 million people worldwide live with depression. 4.5 million children in the United States diagnosed with and are living with anxiety, chronic anxiety. An adolescent dies from suicide every 100 minutes. And that makes it the third leading cause of death of people the ages of 15 and 24. I'm giving you these stats for a reason. I want you to get angry. I want you to feel the pain of this. Because I read those and, and say, I, how can we stand by and not address it as a church, as a collective, right? What can we do? We have facilities, so it's our dream and our hope that we're going to kick ourselves out of our office, and that's going to be a professional Christian counseling center next year is what, is what we want to do. And we'll kick ourselves out, we'll put our offices above the preschool, but that would then be the public space. All are welcome. Step on our property. Come and be around us. Get professional, get coffee on your way to getting professional Christian counseling. It would be an amazing outreach. And talk about being hospitable. Talk about when, uh, becoming all things to all people. These are the relevant issues that we want to address that we can do. This is our dream. So as we look at the strategy, this vision forward, what if like Bonhoeffer, when he created the Confessing Church or Finkenwald, he was looking at this great army of opposition, this secular culture that was evil and that it was out there and it was it's ominous, it's scary. Or like Hugh Halter who looked at a different way to do church, a different way to bring people in to be hospitable and be good news and a blessing to people around us. What if we can be that? What if through the, the kingdom concept and looking at the needs and and having this, this passion, this apostolic passion, and our collective opportunity to meet those needs, and through these three C's, what if us, like Diedrich Bonhoeffer, can stand out there and say, what we're doing here is now stronger than what's happening out there. We might build people up. We might push back the darkness of our world. Those are the leaders that have modeled the way so the invitation is for us all. What's interesting is, uh, inevitably, Bonhoeffer was arrested, and they imprisoned him. They put him in a concentration camp. In April of 45, they hanged him. And here's the interesting thing. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in the Christian world, is one of the most four, he is an amazing author and theologian, and his books have discipled people from then until now, and they will for generations to come. The Third Reich fell. So what he did worked. He, what he did outlived Hitler and Nazi Germany. And so for us today, this church is over 100 years old. And what we do in our cultural moment as a subculture, an alternative culture, will have impact on the next 100 years. So I want us to pray that we would be a rebuilt people in a rebuilt place. 
that we might become all things to all people, not compromising, but appealing to the world around us with hospitality for the sake of the gospel like the Apostle Paul. So let's pray that we would become that type of church. Heavenly Father, I I pray for us as we are almost done wrapping up this vision series that we might see it. We might see, God, that we are a people, your people in exile, living in this postmodern, post-Christian world, and sometimes it's hard to know what to do or how to behave, or do we compromise ourselves to look like the world, or how do we navigate that? But by your grace, God, we might look at the words of your Apostle Paul. We're not going to compromise anything, but what we will do, if you bless it, God, if you would bless us, is reach out to the world. Be hospitable in a way that they are so compelled and drawn in and then they get to meet you, the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, I know today that there are people here, people watching online that that don't know you and need to realize that you embodied hospitality the most. The most hospitable person ever walked the earth was you as you came and entered into humanity and then paid the penalty for our sin. And if that's you today, I just want to pray for you and give you the opportunity to go to him. Repent, confess your sin, claim him as Lord of your life and give your life away to him. Father, bless us as we step forward, step by step, to be good news for the sake of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.